0: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Doing things a little bit different on this episode, no guests, but we will have a mailbag. And I had a lot of good questions sent in and we'll get to those coming up in just a bit. KU coming off the loss, the worst loss of the season to Kentucky on Saturday has what I consider to be one of the more impressive wins. Maybe the most impressive win they have on their resume this year. It's not one that maybe at the end of the season we'll look back on and say, can you believe Kansas went up to Ames, Iowa against a fringe top 20 team and got a win on a Tuesday night at 6 o'clock? Maybe, maybe not. But I think given the circumstances... They've got to feel as good in that locker room and doing some inventory, looking in the mirror, trying to figure out what you are moving forward as they felt all year coming off a win. KU goes up to Ames, wins 70-61. to 61. No Ochai, who was out due to COVID. No Remy Martin, who is effectively being shut down right now with his knee injury, who which has been sort of fluctuating. Uh, missing time, coming back, missing more time now. Bill Self sort of alluded to it on Monday that he's at about 60 to 70%. He said he was playing on a leg and a half. And at this point, it just seems like they're not getting enough out of him. He can't stay healthy enough. So there's no point in continuing to make him push through and play through that knee injury. I don't know how long he'll be out for, but at least for the the immediate future, I wouldn't imagine we're going to see Remy on the court. So you go on the road to a hostile environment in Big 12 play and get a win without two of your best players. And for the first 20 minutes or so, it was ugly. KU was not playing well. They had 16 turnovers at halftime, yet they led by six. They shot 57% in the first half. They shot 56% for the game. To put that into context, that's KU's third highest field goal percentage of the season. And their top two performances came against Tarleton State and Missouri, Both of those games were played inside Allen Fieldhouse. To go and do that in Ames, which always gives you a little bit of extra juice and a little bit of added weight and pressure, it's a really impressive offensive performance. By the way, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb. I'll be the first one to say this. If David McCormick can shoot 100% from 18 feet the rest of the year, Kansas could be cutting down some nets come March. That was also a peak... Jalen Wilson that we saw in the second half. Dwan Harris is going to get a ton of credit. Joe Yesifu, we'll get into it a bit. Dave, obviously. But Jalen was really impressive in the second half because without Ochai, you'd need somebody to sort of stretch the defense. Jalen did that, knocked down the open shots when he got them, and he was the slasher, right? He's the guy who's going to cut, make the hustle plays, get to the rim, offensive rebound, get the putbacks. He was doing all the little stuff that this offense needs. that something that maybe they were lacking a little bit earlier in the season when Jalen came back after the suspension, wasn't playing well. He's really turned it around as of late, and I think sort of settling into the role that he's going to have to play on this team. I thought he was really good in the second half versus Iowa State, who, by the way, they just, that was not a good performance from the clones. Uh, They couldn't make a shot. They had a lot of open looks from three that they just couldn't knock down, and they looked a step slow defensively, KU seemed to always be the quicker team, being able to get around the corner and and beat them to the rim and get those easy shots inside. The hustle plays, again, all went KU's way. So if I'm Iowa State, uh, that's not one I'm super proud of, at least in terms of effort and performance. But I did think KU did a lot of things well offensively. I mean, the ball movement was awesome. The ball movement's always going to look good when guys are knocking down shots, which, I mean, again... (laughs) If Dave's going to go 7-for-7 and Dewan Harris is going to go 6-for-8, then yeah, the ball movement's going to look great. The offense is going to look great. Those are the two guys who you are begging to take shots if you're the opposing defense. And you're going to live with David McCormick taking elbow jumpers and and Dewan Harris taking 17-foot jumpers all night. And if they're knocking him down, you really have no shot. Dewan Harris killing it again. So, by the way, the people who a week ago didn't want to see him out on the court is it okay if Bill Self plays him now? Are, are we okay with that, or is that only acceptable because Remy is shut down? Are we still? I mean, what's the what's the theory right now on Dwan Harris versus Remy Martin? I know, by the way, in the mailbag there are going to be a lot of questions about that. I'll probably sort of try to wrap them all up into one and answer them at once. But the Dwan Harris stuff is interesting because there's a there's a value that he provides that really nobody else on the team does. He is a point guard. He's a distributor, and he is very clearly the guy. Not one of, he is the guy that Bill Self trusts to run the offense for this team. And in terms of defense, like yes, there are times when he is physically outmatched by the guys he's going up against, but I think it kind of evens out when you consider how sound he can be and when you consider how opportunistic he is. He's just a, He's a thief. He's annoying. He's a guy you would hate to go up against if you're a point guard in the big 12 and, and he showed that again with just being opportunistic, getting those steals, starting transition opportunities. This team is not great at getting those fast break opportunities. They were a lot better earlier in the season, but they don't force a ton of turnovers. They certainly haven't in big 12 play. And so if Dewan Harris can be that guy, I think he's certainly carved out a pretty valuable role for this team. Uh, that was the Joe Yesifu game. Uh, Jesse Newell tweeted this out. I don't know if it was a joke, or if he seriously believes won't remember that. I think there is some truth to it, that we'll look back on that as being the Joe Yespo game, but it really only works if he continues to compound that with more strong performances and starts to carve out a role because I think that is sort of the main takeaway from this game is that a guy who, when KU brought him in during the offseason as a transfer from Drake, he finished the season on a tear. He averaged 23 points per game. He was shooting, I think, like 45% from three the last uh, nine or 10 games of Drake's season. And I get it, it's Drake, and it was nine games. So you can draw whatever conclusions you want from that, but the fact remains, for the last month and a half of to the 2020 season, Joe Yesifu was one of the best players in the country. And what he did was play with energy, he played with bounce, He knocked down outside jumpers. He became sort of an alpha offensively for that Drake team. And and KU, I think when they brought him in, thought that, okay, he's not going to be that guy at Kansas. But if you can just get that in in doses and, and just be an energy guy off the bench or be somebody who can sort of be a secondary initiator or ball handler, then you're going to get a really great addition for the team. It hasn't worked for whatever reason. And, and Yesufu has found himself sort of on the outside looking in for much of this year. When I think about guys who have come before Yesifu and guys who have been in similar situations, like the word that comes to mind for me and the, the idea that I get in my head is, is the idea of trust. And Bill Self is somebody who relies so heavily upon trust when playing certain guys over others. And he's not unique in this, but he's certainly uh, someone that where, where there never seems to be an exception to that rule. And, and trust is an, an intoxicating thing, and it's and it's something that can be very powerful if you have it, and it can be very damning if you don't. But it's also a two-way street. Because for a guy specifically, if we just want to look at Joe Yesifu, Bill Self is is not going to play you unless he trusts you But you're not going to play well unless you know that your coach trusts you. If you're having to constantly look over your shoulder or if you're having to play through this idea in the back of your head that if you make one mistake, you're getting pulled. If you don't switch when you're supposed to, you stick with your man and all of a sudden there's somebody wide open at the top of the key for an open shot that gets knocked down. Bill Billsoff calling a timeout and pulling you and may not play you the rest of the game. That's difficult, right? It's like a quarterback who's in a uh, competition in the middle of a game. If I throw one bad pick, if I miss one guy, am I getting benched for the rest of the game? Am I going to start next week? Like, like, what is my job security? How long is my leash going to be this week? That's what it's felt like for a lot of these guards. And again, Yes if Yesifu's not alone in this. There's almost always an instance of this in every single season for a Bill Self player. And a lot of times it's younger guys, but now with the transfer portal... I feel like the window has sort of shifted a little bit to just anybody who happens to be new to the team. And as for the idea of trust and how it pertains to Joe Yesifu's performance versus Iowa State, I don't think it was an instance of Bill Self saying, I finally trust this guy. I know what he's going to give us, and now is his time to shine. And I don't think it was an instance of Joe Yesifu getting the court and saying, man, I finally feel it. I'm finally comfortable. I know my coach believes in me. It's my time to shine. It was just a perfect overlap of a situation where Bill Self needed an extra guard because he didn't have Remy, he didn't have Ochai, and Jalen coleman Lands missed one assignment early in the second half. He wanted to give Yesifu a shot. Yesifu comes in, makes a couple of steals, has a couple of nice passes, knocks down a couple of nice shots, and all of a sudden, he gets to stay out there for the remainder of the second half, and he had his Joe Yesifu game. It wasn't that he necessarily played lights out. As much as it was that he provided a steady infusion of energy and pace than than Jalen Coleman Lands did, or that Bobby Pettifer don't doesn't quite have at this point. He's got this super quick first step. The ball wasn't sticking when he was on the court. There was this one point where ISU cut it to five, and then Fran even mentioned this on the broadcast. Yesufu knocked down a corner three. He puts the lead back to eight, and and Fran said, you know, if KU ends up winning this game, we're going to look back on that shot as being the one that sort of sucked the life out of ISU because that was the point when the, the fans started making some noise, and, and Hilton started coming alive a little bit, and then all of a sudden, the energy sucked out of the building with the big three, right? I don't know if that was a product of Yesifu all of a sudden feeling comfortable, and Bill Self all of a sudden having this newfound trust that he hadn't had in him all season until that point, as much as it was, he got an opportunity, made a couple of plays, and everything else started to fall into place. And if that can be the jump-off point for Yesafu carving out a role on this team, you're one step closer into becoming the sort of finalized version of what you want to be this year. And uh, without being able to get more into that, I feel like we should just go ahead and get into the mailbag because I feel like there's going to be a lot more about this guard rotation Joe Yesifu, and where things are going to go from here. All right, mailbag time. This is the first time we've done this on this podcast. So we'll see how it goes. If you guys like it, then we can do more of these moving forward. So this will be a, uh, a trial by fire sort of situation for the mailbag. And I'm putting all the pressure on you guys, right? My answers, I feel like, are going to be great no matter what. It's all about the questions. Every interviewer and journalist knows that. And this is nothing if not uh, a bastion of journalistic integrity. All right, first question. What is your ideal rotation for KU? Okay, so I'm going to assume this question is if everybody is healthy and what is the rotation that I want to see what? In crunch time, what is the rotation I want to see start the game? What is the rotation I want to see play the lion's share of the minutes? Versus Iowa State the rotation that played virtually the entire second half together was Dewan Harris, Joe Yesifu, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, and David McCormick. Now, obviously, that's not going to be my answer, but that provides you an example of a rotation that worked for a certain team and Bill Self stuck with it because the deeper you get into the season and the higher stakes the games are, and certainly once you get into the tournament, like you're not playing nine guys. You're just not. You probably have your rotation down to seven, six of which you trust. Maybe it's down to eight, seven of which you trust. But last night, I mean, Mitch Lightfoot virtually didn't play other than a couple minutes, I think, at the beginning of the second half. And the same thing goes for Jalen coleman lands who, again, missed that one defensive assignment. Yes, who came in, played well. And Bill Self said, I'm not changing from this. To answer the question, my ideal rotation for KU, and I'll give the explanation afterwards, is the one that we have seen much of the season. DeWan Harris, Christian Brown, Ochai, Jalen, and Dave, with Remy coming in and playing about 20 to 25 minutes on a given night off the bench. So when I say ideal rotation, whoever I leave out, whoever I put as the sixth man, it's going to feel like I don't think they deserve to be a part of the rotation, but that's not really the, the case here. it's not that I don't think Remy should have a role, it's that I don't think KU is at its best or can put its best five on the floor together with Remy being a part of that five. And it doesn't mean I don't think that Remy isn't important, it's just that the way this team is going to play and the way this team is going to play at their best doesn't have him on the court for 30 plus minutes. So let me try and explain this. Again, Bill Self said earlier this week, Remy's dealing with a knee knee issue. He categorized him as being at about 60 to 70%. He said he's playing on a leg and a half. Let's just take a look at where Kansas is at right now and who they are as a team, okay? Uh, People have varying concerns about how good this team is and where they need to improve. Right now, Kansas has the number four offense in the country according to Ken Palm's adjusted efficiency. Number four. If you go to Bart Torvik, which they formulated a little bit differently, um, third, third best offense. So it doesn't matter where you go. Um, If you you want to just look at the raw scoring numbers, KU has an elite offense, all right? It's one of the better offenses that Bill Selfs had during his time at Kansas. Like statistically, you can kind of go through, they go about it a different way, but they're really good offense. They get a lot of good looks inside. They get a lot of good looks at the rim. When they're in transition, they're really good. They're really f- efficient. Christian Brown, Ochai, super efficient scores getting out in transition. One thing they do really well that's very unique is that they're an elite, an elite offensive rebounding team. I mean, David McCormick's the best offensive rebounder in the country. He's really good at getting putback opportunities. As is Jalen Wilson. Those two guys have to be a part of this equation because that's one of your strengths. You need to have a niche. You need to have something to hang your hat on. One of the things that KU is going to hang their hat on is being a good offense, and it's not because they're just elite at shot making, even though Ochai Baji might have something to say about that. It's just that they get a lot of second chance opportunities. They get a lot of good looks inside. That's their identity offensively, so Jalen, Dave, obviously play a part in this. Christian Brown and Ochai go without explaining, right? Those are your two go-to scores. So that really only leaves one spot up for debate here in terms of who the ideal lineup is. And going back to the the idea that this is an elite offense, I'm not going to then make a decision at the point guard spot with the idea that KU needs to go from being the fourth best offense in the country to the number one offense in the country. That doesn't move the needle for me. Where they need to improve is defensively because as good as they have been offensively, they have been equally as porous on defense. This is one of the worst defenses the Bill Self's ever had at Kansas. And Bill Self is one of the best defensive coaches in college basketball and has been for the better part of two decades. So it's a little bit surprising to see how bad the defensive numbers have been. So when I'm making that decision at point guard, who, who is more likely to help this team improve on defense? And I'm telling you right now, the answer is not Remy Martin. If you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode where I talked to Sam Bassini, who watches about as much basketball as anybody that I know. And he was watching Remy Martin for four years while he was at Arizona State. And he broke down the reasons why he never really thought that Remy Martin would be a good fit at Kansas because the things that he does do not mesh with the things that Bill Self typically likes from the point guard spot. And a lot of that had to do with defense. And there's no evidence to suggest at any point in his career that Remy Martin has even been an average defender. So to think that playing him more is going to help KU get better on defense, I just don't know how you are possibly going to make that case. Where Kansas Lacks is on defense, Remy doesn't help them there. I still think he has a very valuable role. He can come in and be that guy off the bench to provide instant offense and To be that sort of spark plug offensively, I still think he plays 20 to 25 minutes a game. But if you're asking me if he's going to help Kansas get better at the area where they are weak at, I just don't see it. So that's why I still think Harris is the guy at point guard. I think Remy can come in and be a very valuable sixth man defensively. Now, will he buy into that? That's not what he came to Kansas to be. Uh, That remains to be seen. This is not an ideal situation for Remy. This is not how he thought it was going to go. This is not how Bill Self thought it was going to go but it's the reality of where you're at. Your options are limited, and it's time to sort of sack up and figure it out, or you're going to get left out. I'm telling you right now, it's nut-cutting time. As you, as you get into February, you've got about a month and a half left here of the season. Got to figure out where you're going to stand and figure out how you're going to finish this year. Because if you don't accept the reality of your role and your situation, then you're not going to get anything out of this. And at this point, it's salvaging what you have left of this season. All right, next question. Where or how do you think Kansas can improve on defense? Pretty much the worst under self. So, yeah, if we just look at some of the uh, advanced defensive numbers, right now, KU, according to adjusted efficiency, uh, they rank 46th in the country defensively. You go to Bart Torbic, their adjusted defensive efficiency. Jesus. Uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. 49th. Which, again, I mean, fifth top 50 in the country, that's not a nice round number, but when you look over the course of Bill Self, I mean, last year they were 12th, in 2020 they were 2nd. There was a ridiculous stretch there from effectively 2006 to uh, 2016, 11 years, where they were top 11, 10 times in 11 years. I mean, it's astounding consistency with what Bill Self has built defensively, even last year. That was not great defensive personnel. Now, Marcus Garrett was a national player of the year caliber defender, but you had a lot of holes on defense. You didn't have a stalwart, shot-blocking rim protector down low like you're used to having. But if there's anybody who's going to get the most out of his bunch defensively, it's going to be Bill Self. So I do think uh, 46th is where they're at now. Uh, give me the under. They're going to finish better than 46th by the time the season is over, but they're never going to be an elite defense. There's nothing that they're really, really bad at, but there's also nothing that they're very good at. In fact, if you just go in conference play, uh, their best defensive statistic would be three-point defense, which, by the way, has proven to be uh, something that defenses don't have a ton of control over, right? That basically just comes down to Is the opposing team making shots on a given night? Just go back and watch the Iowa State game. Iowa State, I think, went 5 of 22 from three-point range. Go back and count how many missed open threes Iowa State had that had nothing to do with what KU was doing defensively. Oh, by the way, if we wanted to go just with conference stats, KU is dead last in forcing turnovers. They're dead last in steals. So that, to me, has to become... the place where you improve. You've got to create more transition opportunities because that's where this team is at their best. Getting out in transition, scoring in transition. They just need to create more of those opportunities. If they do that, that's where I think the defense improves a little bit. You just don't have a lot of plus defenders, man. You just don't. So I don't think that's ever going to be a hallmark of this team. I think they can get marginally better. It's also important to note that one of the other worst defenses that Bill Selfs had at KU was 2018, the year they went to a Final Four and also had an elite offense. I don't know if that this offense is going to end up being as good as that offense, but um, Ochaibaji, Christian Brown, and everybody else picking up the scraps, that might be good enough. But in terms of how can they improve on defense, I think there are there are areas where they can. I think there's part of this blind faith that Bill Self will start to, to help them improve a little bit. I just don't know how high that ceiling ultimately is going to be for this team. All right, next question. Uh, who deserves more or less playing time? I'm going to ask about four questions because I got four or five here that were all basically the same. Who deserves more or less playing time on this team? Uh, if Yesifu continues to play at this pace, does he get minutes over Remy when he returns? Should Pettiford sit and Joe get more minutes? Isn't Yesufu an obvious solution to athletic deficiencies? Of all of our smallest guards, he appears most explosive and strong. Okay. So those were four different questions, which I am uh, essentially going to combine into one. And I'm just going to look at sort of the raw numbers here with how this rotation has shaken out. And it's, it's incomplete because Remy has missed some time, obviously with the knee issues and the back issues earlier in the year. Uh, you had the, the injury with, um, uh, with Bobby Pettiford that has kept him out. He's only played 10 games this year. So it's sort of incomplete with looking at some of these raw numbers, but just in terms of minutes played. Okay, Dewan Harris is playing 29 minutes a game. Even if you think he's going to play less, he's not going to be out of this rotation. So I almost want to remove him from the conversation. Remy Martin, as much as we've made about people wanting to see him play more, he's still playing 24 minutes a game, which is a hell of a lot more Than either Bobby Pettiford or Joe Yesifu are playing. Pettiford, in the games he's played, averaging 10 minutes a game. Joe Yesifu, in the minutes he's played, averaging 7.5 minutes a game. All right, so let's start with the first part here because all of these questions effectively center around Joe Yesifu. The easiest way to describe where Yesifu finds himself at is that I don't really think he's competing with other point guards for minutes. Okay. I don't think that Dewan Harris is in direct competition with Yesifu here. Bobby Pettiford is to an extent, but you got to think about what Bill Soff is trying to do with the backcourt this year and what he would like to do in almost every season if he has the personnel to do it. He wants to play with two guards out there, but not all guards play exactly the same, right? Dewan Harris does not play anywhere close to how Remy Martin plays. That doesn't necessarily mean they mesh well together. It just means they don't play the same. Dewan Harris is a pass-first point guard. Remy Martin is a scoring guard. Joe Yesifu is closer to being Remy Martin than he is Dewan Harris. In fact, Joe Yesifu is closer to being Jalen coleman Lands than he is really anybody else. That's the guy who he replaced in the second half of that game. Now, coleman Lands wouldn't have found himself in the situation that he was starting the game if it weren't for Remy being out and Ochai being out. So Yesifu is in a difficult position here because he is effectively trying to become that secondary ball handler. He's never going to take over as a primary point guard. In fact, neither is Remy Martin. Like That's the whole thing with trying to figure out, should Remy Martin play next to Dewan Harris? No, Remy Martin is a scoring guard. Bill Self at no point this season. He is never, ever, ever going to trust him to be as defensively disciplined as Dewan Harris is, he's also never going to trust him to run the offense that he wants him to do because Remy Martin is at his best when he's knocking down shots. That's the role that he has and the value that he provides to this team. And I think Yesifu is closer to being that than he is to being a true point guard. So Yesifu's best bet is to usurp Jalen coleman lands and Bobby Pettiford. Now again, how many minutes are available for that? Well, let's just look at the rotation. You know Ochai, Christian, DeWan, Jalen, David McCormick all have roles. Unless things completely fall apart with Remy Martin, he's got a role as well. There's six. Mitch Lightfoot, you're always going to play a backup big. There's seven. By the time you get to March, that may be your whole rotation. And effectively, you've got an eighth guy to be that last guard to come off the bench and provide you minutes. Who is the guy who's going to carve out that role? Coleman lands has a leg up because you know what? He's the best knockdown shooter outside of Ochai Abaji on this team. That's a really good start. So what is going to be the need of this offense or this team moving forward? Is there anything that Joe Yesifu is going to be able to do that will prove to be more valuable than Jalen Coleman lands shot making ability? And I just don't know if that's the case. Because if you think that Yesifu is going to overtake Remy Martin, that's fine. But again, look at the minutes. 24 compared to seven? He's playing four times the minutes Remy is than Yesufu. So the, the, the idea that they're even in competition, it seems to be far-fetched. I would say Yesufu has an opportunity right now with Remy being gone. That's 24 minutes per game that you are going to have to try to fill. So if there were ever a time for Yesifu to make a dent into that discrepancy of minutes, now would be the time. But when all is said and done, if Remy comes back at this point this season and is close to 100% and they're playing him as much as they want to play him, I just have a hard time believing that sitting here on February 2nd, yes, if it was going to be able to overtake him. Maybe he's able to to scrap a few more minutes here and there and become a guy who goes from playing seven minutes a game to... You know, 12 minutes a game, steals a few minutes from Pettiford, steals a few minutes from Jalen coleman lands, But they're not all going to be playing. This isn't going to be a 10-man rotation. It's not going to be a 9-man rotation. And it's probably not even going to be an 8-man rotation by March. But the opportunity is there for the taking for Yesifu. And and I think now would be the time to sort of strike and and seize that opportunity. Uh, Next question. This is not really a question, uh, but the... The entire tweet from Kyle says, plus minus stats. Not even a question mark. Just says plus minus stats. All right, let's talk about plus minus here for a second. Uh, I have been critical of people trying to use plus minus stats as of late uh, as as a, a justification for wanting to see one guy play over another. And specifically... It was a, I don't even remember what game it was last week when somebody, a lot of people were bringing up plus-minus stats as to why, um, I believe it was why Remy Martin should play over DeWan Harris. I think it was the Texas Tech game because Remy didn't play in the second half. The game got tight. Remy was playing well earlier. He had a better plus-minus in that game than DeWan Harris. So I've heard a lot of basketball uh, coaches' minds. I know Greg Popovich just sort of railed on it in the past. Uh, Danny Ainge, I think, had something about it. I've even heard Bill Self say it, that they, they view plus-minus stats in, in a single game as, as being a pretty worthless statistic. I went back and looked this up, and the best single game plus-minus in the NBA came on... November 22nd of 2017, the Houston Rockets beat the Denver Nuggets 125-95. to So it was an absolute blowout. And in that game for the Rockets, who won, uh, Chris Paul had 23 points and 12 assists. James Harden had 21 points, 8 rebounds, and 9 assists. Trevor Ariza had 25 points, went uh, 7 of 10 from three-point range. Somebody on the Rockets set the all-time record for single game plus-minus. It was Luke Imba Amute, who played 26 minutes. He scored 13 points, four rebounds, four steals. Went five for five from the field, knocked down three threes. Pretty solid game, but not a performance that would lead you to believe him being on the court helped Houston outscore the Nuggets by 57 points. Do you see what, I, what I'm what i getting at here? Plus-minus has a little bit more to do with, I don't know, maybe the other nine guys on the court than it does the single performance of that player who we are attributing the plus-minus to. Is Luke Mute having a plus-minus of 57 indicative of the value that he provided on a night when he scored 13 points and four rebounds, Or do you think it may have something to do with the fact that he played the majority of those minutes alongside Chris Paul and or James Harden and or Trevor Ariza, who had a really good night? It's not a big enough sample size. If you want to do season-long stuff and you want to do stuff where you can say, okay, over the last 10 games, over the last 15 games, over the last 20, that's fine. We can have those conversations. But plus minus what it effectively tells you is the stuff that you already know. It, citing plus minus to like use that as, a, as an indication as to why somebody else should play would be the same way of saying, well, this guy had 10 rebounds last night, so he should play more. Or this guy had three steals last night, or so he should play more. Well, what if that guy who had three steals also had six turnovers? Or what if the guy who had 10 rebounds also went one of 12 from the field? One, one statistic without the context of everything else that happened in that game just isn't all that useful. And a lot of times it's telling you stuff that could be just as easily, if not more easily, conveyed by telling you all the other statistics that that player accrued over the course of the game. So, plus minus, great if you want to do season-long stuff, really not interested in talking about it on a game-to-game basis. Next question. If you could take any player off the 2020 team and add them to this year's squad, who would it be? Okay, so 2020, that would have been the year that we're giving KU the de facto title. Uh, so, basically be three options here, right? Devon Dotson, Marcus Garrett, and... Yudoka Azebuki. Um It's actually kind of tough, because at first I thought this would be an easy answer, but I, I think all three would be decent answers. I could see Devon coming on and immediately uh, adding stability to that point guard position. Marcus Garrett as a wing defender sounds nice, but I don't know where he really fits. KU's kind of deep at wing. I don't know if they need another guy there. Uh, I, it's got to be Yudoka Azubuki. That was my first gut reaction, and now talking through it, it has to be him. Elite-level rim protection. He immediately addresses one of the uh, biggest glaring weaknesses on this team, which is defense and the easiest way to affect your defense is by having a rim protector. Yudoka was one of the best interior defenders in college basketball that, le- la- that senior year. And, oh, by the way, he was once again one of the most efficient offensive players in the country. Uh, yeah, so give me Yudoka as a bookie. Uh, That means David McCormick's coming in as your first big off the bench. And Mitch Lightfoot, sorry, hate to say it, probably not playing a role on this team. So, yeah, Yudoka Izabuki is going to be my answer there. All right, next question. It took Wiggs, Andrew Wiggins, seven years, and Steph Curry to become an all-star starter. Who is the next Jayhawk to make that Phoenix-like ascent in the league? Love the verbiage there. Phoenix-like ascent. Uh... Okay, so yeah, by the way, Andrew Wiggins is an all-star starter, which all-star starters are voted on by fans because a K-pop star, a Korean pop star uh, named Bam Bam with 38, I believe it's 38 million, uh, no, 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 sorry, 9 million followers sent out a tweet saying Andrew Wiggins should be an all-star. Got 38,000 retweets, and that is in large part the reason why Andrew Wiggins is an all-star starter this year. Uh, who's going to be the next KU player to do that? Well, there's only 10 of them in a given year, and I'm going to go out and venture a guess to say there's nobody on this team's roster that is going to be an all-star starter at any point in their NBA career. I guess Ochai would be your best bet, but I don't really see it. How about, you know what, I'm going to go uh, Grady Dick, who is uh, down in Wichita right now. He's going to be uh, a McDonald's All-American, top 20 recruit, top 30 recruit, depending where you look. People I've talked to who have watched him say that this kid's a stud, legit one-and-done candidate, Uh, so he'll be playing for KU next year as like a two-guard wing-type kid and pretty electric if you haven't seen his highlight videos. I'm not a big recruiting guy, but uh, I would make an exception for Grady Dick. I think he's going to be really fun. So there you go. Uh, I, I still think the odds are stacked against him or anybody. I don't care if you're the number one recruit in the country. It's really hard to go to the NBA and then be one of the 10 best or one of the 10 most popular which is effectively what it is, a popularity contest. But uh, Grady Dick, you know, maybe. Electrifying, got a great name. So uh, that'll be my bet, even though I say it with absolutely zero confidence. All right, we'll get to these last two. I'm trying to run through these as quick as I can and get you out of here. Uh, Better football team, 11 K.J. Adams or 11 David McCormick's. All right, tail of the tape. K.J. Adams is what, 6'7", 215. Dave is 6'10", 260. I don't know what position you're putting Dave at. If it, does that mean they're both playing both ways? Is this like high school, where uh, eleven KJ Adams on offense versus eleven David McCormick's on defense, and then they switch on the other possessions? Um, it's got to be KJ Adams because he's just faster. And six eleven's too—you're too tall to play football. So even on the even if you had four David McCormicks on the defensive line, yeah, you weigh more and you're taller, but like. KJ Adams is going to have all the leverage plus skill position players you're getting torched every time down the field. even if KJ Adams can't pass the ball, just screen plays, handoffs, you're more athletic. I mean that's an easy. I don't I don't know any advantage that David the David McCormick teams would have on either side of the ball. Like the quarterback and, unless David McCormick's just gotten an absolute, you know, cannon for an arm, that's your only chance. But it's, it, that's, that's an easy one. That's K.J. Adams. All right, last question. Should Bill Self go back to Suits? Okay, so this is an interesting one and one that I've given a lot of thought to. So Bill Self has effectively abandoned Suits since last year. So we've really only got about a season and a half of data to go off of here. So the last two seasons, do quick math. They've lost three games this year. They lost... Uh, what was it? Did, what did they go? I should have this pulled up. I didn't do any research on these questions, by the way. They went 21-9 last year. So that is and 38-12 over the last two seasons uh, while wearing the quarter zips. That's uh, 76% winning percentage. All right, let's pull up. Okay, so 76% last two years in quarter zips. Bill Self for his coaching career at Kansas, 82% that's pretty damning. That's, that's pretty damning evidence uh, in favor of going back to suits. Bill Self's the one who effectively made the decision to no longer wear suits, but, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Uh, he has been an objectively worse coach in the quarter zips. Is it too casual? Is it that the players don't respect him enough? Maybe go more casual. Maybe, you know what, I actually want to see that. I want to see college basketball coaches doing what they do for baseball, right? If baseball managers wear the actual baseball uniforms, I want to see basketball players out there wearing jerseys, wearing shorts, and, I mean, imagine Bill Self trying to chew out a guy after missing a defensive assignment and he's just sitting there sweating through like a white home Kansas jersey. How is the player supposed to focus on the coach while he's chewing his ass, wearing a, wearing a jersey. Maybe you've got a little man boob situation going on there. you got the beer belly sticking through the, the white sheer jersey. You've got the pasty white legs. I, I mean, if we're going to do the casual, let's go all the way casual. I don't just want quarter zips and slacks. I want basketball uniforms. And then you tell me how much you like casual, and then you tell me how much you hated wearing the suits. All right? I mean, 82 to 76, that's not an insignificant drop-off. So yes, to answer the question, I think Bill Self needs to go back to wearing suits on the sidelines immediately. All right, this was fun. I don't know. Tell me if you like this because if you like the, the mailbag stuff, if you like being able to ask questions and have me answer this, we can do more of these in the future. I know we're obviously still going to do more uh, interview stuff, but if you like the mailbags, then we can continue bringing them back. It was fun for me. I don't know. I think there was a lot of rambling Not quite as concise as I would probably be in an interview or just doing the monologue stuff, but I'm looking at the clock, and this is going to be a long one. So if you made it this far, let me know what you thought. If I don't get any feedback, I'm going to take that as it not having had worked out. All right, thanks for listening as always. uh, If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. I love the feedback. I love the reception. You guys seem to be taking to it pretty well. I know this thing's still in its infancy, but I appreciate you listening, and we'll be back next week. Thanks.
0: in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.